Boy, it's good to see you all. I just, uh, we haven't done it in a while. I want you to turn to the person to your right and say, we are family. We turn to the person to your left and say, we are family. Will the lower floor yell up to the balcony, we are family? Will the balcony yell down to the lower floor and say, we are family? Well, all y'all look up here and say, we are family. You know, we really are. And uh, it, when family's not together, there is a loss. And uh, it, it is so good uh, to see you. And, and I mean that. It, 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 it just is so good to see you. Uh, it's good to see you. It's good to meet new people uh, already uh, at the 9 o'clock hour. And again, this hour, new people who have gathered with us or people that I haven't met uh, just uh, walking by and saying hi or shaking hands. Uh, just so glad to see you. By the way, my name's Eric, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, just wanted you to let that weird person that shook your hand, that was me. Uh, but uh, again, thank you so much for joining with us. Uh, we begin a new series today called Feast, and we're looking at the food that God gives us to nourish our souls. Um, uh, we know what that is. Y'all know what that is? That's bread. And bread is a big deal when it comes to food. Uh, you might not be a bread person, but even if you're not a bread person, every culture uh, for centuries has relied upon bread to nourish their bodies. It, it is a staple. There is also Reese peanut butter cups. I don't want you to be confused when the title of the sermon is Better Than Bread. I'm not talking about Reese peanut butter cups. Uh, two of the major food groups in my life, bread and Reese peanut butter cups. Bread's a big deal. Bed, bread is a big deal in Scripture. Uh, bread is a big deal in Scripture. We're going to be looking at one of those passages today that talk about bread, but it's bigger than bread. It's better than bread. You see, bread can make you bitter. And we'll talk about that in a second. But bread can be a bitter thing, not a better thing. But what we're looking at today is how we can have that which is better than bread, that nourishes our soul, not just feeds our body. Uh, you know, I've, I've been pastor here for uh, almost two decades now and uh, been pastoring for uh, a minister uh, for more than three decades and one thing that I do know, and especially over the last several years for us as a family of faith, the last couple of years especially, um, I look at you and I look at me, and here's my concern. My concern is that we are looking in the wrong places to nourish our soul. We're looking to wrong things to satisfy us. Uh, whether it's our achievements or our success or whether it's uh, our uh, uh, position or our popularity, whether it's um, our relationships, which are not bad, but whether it's our relationships or uh, whether it's adding square footage to our home or getting a new car in the drive or uh, getting a new level in our uh, climbing up the ladder in our job or our vocation, we look at those things and we say, that is what's going to nourish my soul. That's what's going to satisfy me. Um, 
but it won't. No matter what it is, it won't. It's like bread. Bread is good, but if we think that this loaf of bread will satisfy our soul, will nourish the deepest parts of who we are, if we think that this bread is what it's all about, this bread becomes bitter to us because it becomes an enemy for that which we really need. It becomes an enemy for that which is better. And the same thing's true in your life. You're looking for things, itches in your life. You've got these little itches in your life. And you're trying to scratch them with a lot of different things. And so as I've been praying and and praying for you uh, every day and, and praying for us, one of the things that God really over time led me to was to talk about the things that he provides that will really nourish our soul. And those things are better than bread. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, our passage this morning, we're looking at uh, close to the end of a journey. Now, this is the children of Israel, and the children of Israel had a shot of entering the promised land. And so they come up to the edge of the promised land, get to the Jordan River. They have a Jordan River moment. And in that Jordan River moment, uh, God says, I want you to cross to the uh, promised land. This is the land that I give you. I want you to cross to the promised land and possess it. The children of Israel decided, not talking to God, they just decided, they decided they're going to send 12 spies into the land to check it out. And even though God, who had parted Red Seas, who had provided manna for their food, who had led them with a pillar of fire by day and a pillar of cloud by night, who gave them 10 commandments, uh, even though this same God told them, go to the land and possess it, when the 12 spies came back, 10 of them said, let's not go there because it's scary. Only two of the 10 said, let's go, let's possess it, like God has said. But 10 said no, and so the children of Israel listened uh, to the 10 rather than to God. And in that Jordan River moment, they rebelled against God. They chose this over what is better. They chose the things that they knew to do. So they said, they said no to God, and the result, and by the way, anytime you and I say no to God, there are disastrous consequences. Anytime we rebel against God, there are disastrous consequences. Anytime we choose our own path to scratch the itch according to our own desires or our friends or whatever, anytime we replace God with anything in our life, there are disastrous consequences. So the disastrous consequences for the children of Israel, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And now, 40 years later, they're about to have another Jordan River moment. And so Moses, who doesn't get to go to the promised land because he led according to the 10 rather than according to the will of God. Moses, he says, okay, I want to remind you. I want to help you. I want to help you so that when you get to your Jordan River moment, you say yes to God. You are satisfied. Even though it might be scary, even though it might be hard, even though it might be challenging, even though it might be uncomfortable, you will be satisfied because you're walking in the will of God. 
All right, so he said in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he said, you've got to be obedient to God. And then in verse 3, and the reason I uh, pinpoint verse 3 is because it's a familiar passage to us. It's familiar not because most of us have memorized Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3. It's familiar because most of us have heard the story of Jesus who was tested in the wilderness. And, and uh, immediately after he was baptized, Mark's gospel says that Jesus was cast into the wilderness and uh, he, to be tempted by the devil or tested by the devil. And, and so he was tested, and at the end of those 40 days, when he was hungry, he fasted, didn't have anything to eat during those 40 days, the devil comes up and he tempts Jesus. He said, hey, Jesus, um, prove that you are who you say you are. I know you're hungry. Turn these rocks into loaves of bread. And Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So look at verse 3. So God humbled you. This is Moses talking to the children of Israel. He said, God humbled you. And he allowed you to be hungry. And he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, so that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but, by, uh, but man lives by every word which proceeds from the mouth of God. There's something better than bread, something that will satisfy our soul, something for which we were made to digest and to be nourished by. And that is God himself. You see, God is the only hope that we have to be satisfied in this life. And that's how we're made. Every person is made exactly the same way. You might have different personality traits. You might uh, have different uh, uh, hair color. Or you might have hair like some of us are follically challenged. But, but the reality is we were all made in the same way. We were made in the image of God. Being made in the image and the likeness of God, this is Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27, being made in the image and the likeness of God, each one of us were, were built with a capacity to know God and a desire and a yearning to know God. We are made in God's image so that all of us have something that turns our soul toward God. We want to know him. We want to be part of his family. We want uh, to be with him and for him to be with us. In fact, as Augustine said back in the fourth century AD, our souls will always be restless until we find our home with God. That's how we're made. Can I tell you something else? God knew that that's how you're made, that you will not be satisfied in this life separated from him and our sin separates us from God. Every person in this room has sinned. If you didn't know it, let me share it. You have sinned. And even though your sin might seem to be some minor malady, uh, some mistake or misstep, every sin, no matter how minor I might name it, every sin separates me from God and keeps me from a relationship with him. And that is the plight and the problem of every person here. Our sin has separated us from God, but good news, God longs for us to be satisfied. He longs for us to um, 
uh, to work correctly. So he sent Jesus. Here is the message that Jesus came. Jesus, who is fully God, became fully man so that he might live sinlessly without blemish or fault. So that he might glorify God by dying for sinners on a cross. That's you. That's me, right? We are sinners. So Jesus came on a rescue mission to build a bridge between a holy God and a sinful Eric Thomas. And in his death, he paid the price for my sin. And through his resurrection, he provided a pathway for me, for us, to experience a new life, to return to the way we were originally made. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has built a bridge into God's family so that we might be satisfied. That's what Jesus has done. So this is a big deal. It's not just an Old Testament concept. This is throughout Scripture that God really does care about you being satisfied and for you working the way you were intended to work. There are a lot of people who tell you a lot of, part, a lot of parts and pieces of our culture that say um, uh, you're, you're broken, but their solution to your brokenness is something that has nothing to do with God. Their solution to your brokenness has everything to do with some other stuff. Bread. Again, nothing wrong with bread. But when you think this is the solution to what's broken in your life, if I can just get this, then I'm going to work correctly. If that's our view, then we're going to fall into the same pattern that the children of Israel were in. The very thing that Moses was warning them against, the very thing that we need to hear today. See, I really, um, in ways that I have never experienced in my life as pastor, I desperately want you to be healthy. I desperately want you to be satisfied. I desperately want you to look to the right source to satisfy your soul. I mean, I want it for me too, but I want it for you. I want it for us. You see, a church family that is satisfied in the way that God has designed is a church family that is healthy and productive for God's glory. So as we look at this passage, I want you to hear just the general theme, and then we're going to look at some of the things that are important for us in this. Okay, So the general theme of this passage, and you'll get it as soon as we start reading it. The general theme is if we obey God, he will nourish our soul completely. Yeah, just get that. Okay, Now, I'm, I'm speaking specifically to followers of Jesus. You're part of God's family. If you obey God, you will experience the nourishment from God that you long to have. The reason I want to talk to uh, people who are part of God's family is because the reality is in my world, which is made up of you all, in my world, majority of people who are behaving crazily are people who are part of God's family. I mean, I can go down to the boardwalk and find crazy behaving people, 
but that's not my world. My world is made up of followers of Jesus, primarily. And what I've seen, especially over the last couple of years, is our family has people who behave crazily because they're looking for satisfaction in the wrong places. Looking for uh, uh, their itches to be scratched from the wrong sources. So it comes back to this. If we obey God, then he will nourish our soul completely. Um, Again, in my time as pastor, a couple of things that I've heard all my life. I'm a preacher's kid too, so I've heard it even as a kid. Had church members come, pastor, we just want to go deeper. We want to go deeper in the word. I'm tired of shallow preaching. I'm tired of shallow teaching. I want to go deeper in the word. I want y'all to lean into this. I want you to hear me. The problem with your maturity has zero to do with the teaching or the preaching. The problem with your maturity is your lack of obedience to what you already know. You want to go deeper? Then be obedient to the things you already know. That's how you go deeper. We have already been educated beyond our obedience. And it's time for us to be healthy. And that means we got to be obedient in the things we already know. So when, when you are being obedient in the things you already know and you don't think that you are getting enough from the preaching and teaching, then come talk to me. And we'll talk about the things that you don't know. Okay? And I'm happy to give you another point where you need to be obedient. Maturity, the mark of a marvelous life, the mark of a mature life, is measured by our obedience to the will of God, not our knowledge of the will of God. Okay? So this is important. This is important. I want us to be healthy. Okay? So let's start there. Now, I've got a PhD in all this stuff, so I'm not against knowledge. What I am against is acting like I'm mature because I have knowledge. Okay? Maturity. The mark of maturity is obedience to what I know. Okay? All right. So we could stop there, but we're not going to. All right? So uh, we, we need to understand obedience. And that's what, that's what Moses is getting to. He's talking about obedience. But in that obedience, he gives some points where, hey, listen, he says, God has set this up for you to feast. For you, to, for you to be nursed. And God has set this up for you to be nursed. And God has set this up for you to be nursed. Okay? So let's look at those things. First, oh, God has set it up so that we can feast on his glorious purpose. When we wake up in the morning, what purpose are we feasting on? You're feasting on some purpose. And that may be, I just want to be happy today, or I don't want to be uncomfortable today, or I want to find a friend today, or I want to get a date today, or I I want to make more money today, or I I want my wife to be happy, or I want my husband to be happy, or I want my children to be obedient, or I want my parents to be more understanding. Uh, You wake up and you have a purpose in mind. And none of those, none of those are bad purposes. They're just not the best purpose. There's something better than bread. 
God's glorious purpose is the one that we need to feast on more than any other purpose. If we begin there, then all these other things will take care of themselves. You, know, you remember what Jesus said, all right? So it, it, Jesus said, hey, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're wearing or what you're eating. God takes care of birds and he dresses up flowers and he does it beautifully. Don't worry about what you're eating or what you're uh, wearing. God will take care of you. But Matthew 6, here's what you need to worry about. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will get in line. See, we need to begin with this glorious purpose that God has. And he unveils this glorious purpose in verse 1 of uh, Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8, 1. Every commandment and command today uh, you must be careful to observe so that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. Okay, so, so what's he saying? He's saying God has a purpose. You see, it? God's purpose is that you live. And that's not just existing, that is thriving, that is satisfied living. That you live, that you multiply, that you possess that which he has promised to you. Do the very thing that a generation before said no to. Go in and possess the land. Be obedient to me. Live according to this glorious purpose. This is the purpose that God has given us every day. As followers of Jesus, he's given us a new appetite. Do you realize this? Now, I still, um, not so much the bread, but certainly the Reese's peanut butter cups. I still have an appetite for that. But he's given us a new appetite. As followers of Jesus, at the beginning of his Sermon on the Mount, he said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied, filled. Oh my goodness, we have a new appetite. The minute we entered into the family of God through faith in Christ, he gives us a new hunger. And that hunger is to do the will of God, to walk in the purposes of God, to fulfill all that he has given us to do, to live to multiply, and to possess the land which he promised our fathers. God has given us every day this wondrous purpose to live for his fame and his honor and his glory, to live a satisfied life, not according to all the multiplicity of purposes that rail around us and vie for our affection and our attention, but to live supremely, feeding that New life hunger, the righteousness of God, the kingdom of heaven. So when you wake up in the morning, what is your purpose? Look, I know for most of us, uh, if, if your Mondays are like my Mondays, my purpose when I wake up in the morning is get a cup of coffee, right? If I can get there, I'm all right. But even before I get there, I need to think, all right, how can I live in the purpose of God today? I need to feast on his purpose because his purpose is glorious. His purpose is better than bread because his purpose gives my life shape. His purpose gives my life meaning. His purpose gives my life satisfaction. 
Feast on God's glorious purpose. Feast on God's purposeful leadership. I want you to look at verse 2. In verse 2, Moses takes him on this journey. He says, you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would not keep his commandments, uh, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Uh, here's, here's, again, uh, before I get to the point, can I, can I just kind of take a sidetrack? Uh, here's the good news. Um, the stuff you're going through that is not very comfortable today, the, the pain of your life and the suffering and the sorrow that you li- of your life, whether it's because of circumstance or because of your sin, whatever it is that you're dealing with, understand this. God takes all of that mess to make a masterpiece of his grace. He's not finished with you yet. Oh my goodness, can I tell you how good that is? That he's not finished. He is not finished. And uh, we, we, we may not like the sand in our soul that gristles and, 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 and grinds away and causes discomfort. We might not like that sand in our soul, but we need to understand that over time, God takes that little speck of sand that is so uncomfortable to us, and he will create a masterpiece, a pearl of great price. Friends, we, 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 are, we are the object of his care and his love. Now, here's, here's, here's what Moses said. You need to remember that God led you all the way. Who was he leading? He wasn't leading a group of sterling saints that always said yes to God. He was leading the very people who had that Jordan River moment and said no to God. And God didn't stop leading them. Come on now. This is God's good news to us because we are part of his family through faith in Christ. He is committed to lead us even in our failures. He doesn't give up on us. He continues to press us forward and toward the promised blessing so that we would bring him greater glory to satisfy our soul. Look, we need to understand. And, and look, I know that sometimes our circumstances or our failures create this deep sense of humility in us. We, and that's, but that's a good thing. Humility is God's classroom to lead us to his blessing. Oh, we need humility. Oh, my soul, that God would... And I'm not praying this because God will just start doing stuff, but... If I had the courage to pray it, I would. Oh, God, give us more humility. We need it. Because in our humility, God tests and proves us that we are faithful to him and committed to him, what's in our heart, that we are following after him. And as we're following after him, we taste the glorious blessing that he provides. Today, understand that God is purposefully leading your life. Right now. Feast on that leadership. Trust 
in that leadership, even if you're in your own wilderness wandering, in humility, feast on his purposeful leadership. As we feast on his glorious purpose and we feast on his purposeful leadership, then we also feast on his nourishing word. He humbled us, verse 3, he humbled us so that we would be hungry. I mean, just get the picture. There was nothing in the wilderness that was going to feed the people of God. They were in need. They needed God to provide. He humbled them so that they'd be hungry so that he could provide for them. Bread from heaven, which we're going to look at in a few weeks. Bread from heaven that would nourish their body. But the purpose of providing bread from heaven, manna, was not simply to nourish their body. It wasn't just bread for the body that they needed. They needed nourishment for their soul, a a, a true north by which to live. And and so God said, I'm giving you manna so that you might know that man or woman, none of us live by bread alone, but we live. We're nourished. We're satisfied by every word that proceeds from the mouth, the heart, the being, the presence of God. Look, you want to be nourished? I want to be nourished? Then we need to look to the Word of God to nourish our soul. The Word of God, which is life to us. A few weeks, we're going to be looking at John 6. At the end of John 6, Jesus had some hard things to say. You can read up on that. It's, it's in four weeks, I think, three weeks. Um, you can read up on that, but at the end of John 6, the crowds leave Jesus. They just leave. They're gone. And Jesus turns to his disciples and said, are you going to leave as well? And, and And uh, one of the bold disciples said, where should we go? Where can we go? For we believe that you have the words that give us life. Is that how you look every morning to the Bible? These are the words that give me life today. Oh, that our view of Scripture would enhance and increase That we would see that the Spirit of God speaks through the Word of God to nourish the souls of the people of God so that we might live in the will of God and taste the joy of God. Today, let's be nourished by God's Word. All right, so here's the feast. God sets it up. It's a platter. Better than bread. Better than Reese's peanut butter cups. This is the feast. It's his glorious purpose. It's his purposeful leadership. It's his nourishing word. This is the feast. But none of that matters, even to the family of God, unless we obey God. We feast when we obey God. And we will not feast until we obey God. Comes back to obedience. Guys, listen. I'm not putting law on you. 
In fact, I'm being very gentle with application just because I don't want you to think that I'm trying to put law on you. But can I tell you that if you believe that going away outside, uh, following a path outside of God's will is going to satisfy your soul, I need to warn you today that is disaster for you, disaster for me. The only way to be satisfied, the only way to be satisfied is to obey God revealed in his word. That's it. No other way. Even the good stuff. I mean, there's some good stuff that we need to say no to in order to say yes to God's will revealed in his word. Children of Israel had a Jordan River moment. They were about to have another Jordan River moment. And here's what God through Moses says to them, verse 6. He says, therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Oh, friends, listen. You need to take verse 6, stamp it on your hand, put it on your bathroom mirror, put it in the visor in your car, do whatever you need to do with it so that you are reminded that this is how you feast on satisfaction. I feast on satisfaction when I keep God's commandments, keep his will, pursue his word, and keep it. When I fear him, to fear God means that I, 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 I put him above all other things. To fear God means that, that he is the boss of my life. He has the final say. His word is the filter for every decision that I make. I look for my satisfaction through him. I fear him. I walk in his ways. To walk in God's ways means that I do not walk in ways that aren't God's ways. Sometimes I feel like we need to say this. To walk in God's ways means that you're not going to walk in ways that aren't God's ways. Again, using traffic and commuting as an example. If I'm driving along and somebody cuts in front of me, my way might be to do creative hand gestures toward them. Or to even say out loud in my car, out of their earshot, certain words that are more cursing than blessing. And if I do that, please understand there will be nothing that is satisfied in me because I'm a follower of Jesus and there is a way that God wants me to behave and there's no excuse, not even commuter traffic that gets me off the hook. And I am dissatisfied in myself, in my soul, in the depths of my being, not because cat daddy cut me off but because I behaved in a way that was outside the ways of God. What about you? I'm not looking for confession this morning, except between you and God. But are you feasting through obedience to God? on these beautiful, satisfying platters that God has set up for us? Are you feasting through obedience to God?
in every area of your life. Stop rationalizing those small things and small pieces and uh, even the uh, spots that nobody else sees. Stop rationalizing our disobediences that we think are hidden because they're not hidden to God and they're poison for our soul. Let's be obedient. That's how we're satisfied. One of the ways that works is when we're obedient to God, we are abiding in the love of God. This is John 15, and I've used this several times. John 15 says, says uh, it, it, if, you, if you want to abide in the love of God, you've got to keep the commandments of God. And that's what Jesus said he did. He said, I abide in my Father's love because I've done what my Father told me to do. And if you want to abide in my love, you've got to do what I tell you to do. This is what gives us security in life. This is what gives us stability in life. This is what satisfies us in life. That's how we're made to live in line with the heart and the will of God. It's better than bread. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Perhaps one of the things that we need to just touch on right now is there are people in this room or online and you have not yet entered into God's family. Uh, you, you've tried uh, to be moral and religious to satisfy your soul by doing good religious things or like watch online or be in church or whatever. And, and you think that's going to be good enough. And, and the reality is the only way we are satisfied in relationship with God is when we come to God, God's way. Not our way, but God's way. And say it in a more churchy way, the only way that we're saved is when we are saved God's way. The Bible says that the only way that we're saved God's way is when we acknowledge that we have sinned against God, that our sin has separated us from God. When we acknowledge that we've sinned against God and that our sin separates us from God, we recognize that that separation is the cause of the emptiness in our soul. When we recognize the emptiness in our soul, we see what God has provided. He's provided a way for us to be forgiven. And that's the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus, who is fully God, became fully man. He died upon a cross in the place of sinners like you and me. He was buried in a borrowed tomb and he was raised from the dead three days later so that we who come to him by faith and repentance enter into God's family with a new heart, a new life, a new appetite, forgiven for all our sin. So the very first thing I want to challenge some of you here today, if you are separated from God by your sin, if you're not part of God's family yet, today will you come to Jesus by faith? Will you come to him and say, oh God, I've sinned against you. And I know my sin is what's causing this emptiness in my soul. I know my sin has separated me from you. And, uh, and, and, and I want to turn away from my sin. And I, I see that you sent Jesus to be my rescue. And so I, I call upon Jesus to be my king, my Lord, my boss. And I'm asking you, God, to forgive my sin because of what Jesus has done for me. 
And I'm asking you, God, to bring me into your family based upon what Jesus has done for me. God, will you forgive me? Will you save me? Come to Jesus by faith. If that's the cry of your heart, if that's the yearning in your soul, whether you're online or in the room, I want to challenge you to text Jesus to the number on the screen. If you're in the room in a minute when we stand to sing and uh, uh, worship God together, there are going to be ministers here at the front. And if you want to come to Jesus by faith, come and tell one of these ministers, this is what I want to do. I need, I need this in my life. I've got to have it. If you're a follower of Jesus already, and there are itches in your soul that you've been trying to scratch in ways that is not looking to God or is looking away from God, I want to challenge you. If you're dissatisfied, begin in this way. Go to God daily in Bible study. Take time, open God's Word, and hear the heart of the Father, His glorious purpose, His purposeful leadership, the nourishment for your soul. Open God's Word and be satisfied as you obey it. Spend time with God intimately in prayer. Open your heart to Him. Allow Him to speak to you as you talk with Him in prayer. Submit to the leadership of His Spirit. Gather together with the family of faith, corporately. These are ways that you might take to find satisfaction in your soul as you walk in obedience to the will of God. The final point of application, there are some of you here and maybe the Spirit of God has pinpointed places, your own Jordan River moments where you've said no to God. The Spirit of God has highlighted those places of disobedience or uh, disobedience because you haven't done what God wanted you to do or disobedience because you're doing exactly the opposite of what God wants you to do. And, and, And you're just, right now, you're under that kind of conviction from the Word of God. If that's you, then I want to encourage you as we worship the Lord together. You can come to this altar and you can talk to God about it. You can come to one of the ministers and talk to one of them about it. You can sit right where you are and talk to God about it, but don't leave it undone. Oh God, I pray that this family would be marked by the satisfaction that comes through obedience to you. Obedience to your word. Now may it bear fruit here in this time of worship, in this family of faith. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.